I'm really bad at giving gifts. Well, at least I think I am. My friends and family probably are too nice to tell me whether I actually gave them a bad gift or not, but I'm pretty sure I'm not good at giving gifts. Uh, it stresses me out, and my family knows this because uh, whenever it comes time to for Christmas or birthdays, um, I don't even I don't even try and get them something on my own. I just ask them, "What do you want?" They'll send me a link or tell me what it is, and, and I get it for them. Um, here's an example of how bad I am at giving gifts. Uh, for Christmas, I got some of our staff uh, some small gifts, and in my infinite wisdom. I thought it would be hilarious to get a book for uh, Hannah Sweetman, our, our kids director. And this is the book that I got her. P is for potty. Uh, I thought it would be kind of funny. Uh, clearly it didn't last because when I asked Hannah, hey, where is the book? She's like, I have no idea. It's some, probably somewhere in the kids area. And so, Here's an example of how bad I am at giving gifts. And, and the strange part about this is I actually really love receiving gifts. Like that's one of my love languages is receiving gifts. And anything people give me, I usually keep, right? Uh, for example, when I first started here at Bayview, the Lewis family, Dave Lewis and his kids and wife, they got me this shield and sword. Um, to kind of represent that God would be my shield as I journey into this, this life of ministry. Um, and I keep it, and I keep all, most of, if not all the gifts that people give me. Uh, but I think possibly one of the things that trips me up about uh, giving gifts is maybe the reciprocity. And I don't want to come off as, as cheap or, or not as thoughtful or get people weird gifts. And so I overdo it. Like, you give me a gift, I'll give you like 10 gifts and just overdo it and spend way too much money. Um, and it's just a mess. And, and so one of the points here is that if I ever have to give you a gift and I ask you, what do you want? And you tell me, oh, uh, you don't have to get me anything or, or you don't have to, uh, or your presence is a gift. If you ever tell me that, you may just end up with P is for potty as one of your books. The reason I bring up gifts and we're talking about gifts is because uh, we're going to talk about the greatest gift ever. And so we're back in Romans today. We're finishing up chapter five and Paul is going to unpack, uh, for lack of better terms, uh, this amazing gift. We're going to talk about what this amazing gift really is. And as we finish up chapter five, God is going to use two people and contrast these two people to really explain what this gift is here in chapter five. And so let's pick it up in verse 12. We don't need to look at this image anymore. And he says this, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over these, excuse me, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who's a type of the one who was 
to come. Okay, so we're introduced to this one man uh, known as Adam. And to understand Adam and why Paul is introducing him here, we actually have to go back to Genesis. Uh, we have this story of God creating Adam and placing him in Eden and then placing and then giving him Eve. And so in Genesis chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, it says this, And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. As we probably know, Adam and Eve didn't listen. They rebel and they eat from this tree directly disobeying God. This is the transgression of Adam that Paul is talking about here. Adam and Eve intentionally chose to rebel against God. And through that, sin, sin came into the world. And you may have heard of this term, original sin, before. And so this is that original sin. Adam and Eve eating the fruit was that original sin. This, this prideful act, this pride-filled act, saying that, God, I know better than you. That was our original sin. And, and really, that's at the core of sin. That's what it really is. It's saying that we know better than God, that we're saying that, God, you may have this idea of what is good, but I think I know what is better for me. And, and sin, so sin is not just doing something bad, but ultimately it, it's saying uh, this is something good and making it the ultimate instead of God. See, fruit wasn't inherently bad. God actually made fruit. The whole garden was filled with fruit and trees for them to go and eat from. But man thought they knew better and disobeyed God. Let's, uh, let's take adultery, for example. Right? God made man and woman to be in relationship, and he also made sex, and these are all good things. They're inherently good things when they're done the way God designed them. But when we covet another person that we're not in relationship with. And so if you are a single person and you say, um, I'm, I'm, I, I don't trust God, right? I don't trust God. I'm just going to go and, and sleep with this person. Or maybe you are a married person and you say, you know, this marriage isn't enough for me, God. This person isn't, isn't enough. I'm going to go and find comfort and, and seek someone else outside of this marriage. We're saying that we don't trust God for what is good. We don't trust him for what uh, he designed for and planned for our lives and saying that we know better and rebel against his plan. That is sin. And Paul notes here that because of this act of sin, rebelling against God's good, death entered into the world. See, before sin, there was no death, but now we are subject to death in both the physical but also the spiritual sense. Let's put it like this. Sin led to both a physical and a spiritual death. See, we know Adam and Eve, they sinned and God took them out of the garden. Um, and because of that, they were now subject to pain and suffering and eventually death. But one of the other things that God removing them from the garden did is that it hurt our relationship with God. Mankind was no longer in perfect union with God. It was a spiritual death. 
And see, that's the kicker here because we always forget about that part. Yes, pain and, and hurt and suffering of our physical bodies and death is obviously a horrible thing and an awful thing and one of the consequences. But the other part of this is our spiritual death, this break in our relationship with God, this perfect union with God that is damaged. And one of the other things that really tripped me up about Adam's sin and this original sin is that it doesn't seem fair. Like how come Adam messing up affects us? Like why are we facing the consequences of what Adam did? It'd be like in school, right? When you're in class and there was that one kid that would not stop talking, like not stop talking. And because of that student, everyone else had to stay behind in class or they just got in trouble because of that one kid. Like that doesn't seem fair. That was never fair. I don't know why teachers do that. Or, or maybe in sports when one, uh, one of the kids or one of the, the athletes uh, messes up a play or doesn't complete the drill properly and everyone else has to do sprints because of them, right? This is just not fair. And so why, when Adam sinned, why does that spread to all of us? And like, why are we now having to face the consequences, the billions of people that came after Adam? Why do we have to face the consequences of just one person? That always tripped me up. And so as, we were, as I was studying, there are two things that I want to note. The one is that we actually experience generational consequences of sin today, right? Like one person in a family and their decisions can affect people for generations, right? For example, um, let's take a father who might have a gambling debt and this debt gets so bad and he's really caught up in this uh, world of gambling, and, and which is a sin, as we know. And he has these huge debt fees. And the only way you can escape it is to literally escape. And so he leaves his wife and kids and goes off to another country, leaving this mom and their kids to, to fend for themselves. And now this family and these kids have to go, grow up in a home without a father. And we know how hard it is for a kid to grow up without a father. And so now when these kids go and they have to raise their family, they have to try and figure out um, parenthood and, and trying to, if they're, if they're, if they're uh, a son themselves, having to be a father for their kids, we know that this is just going to cause more hurt and more pain generationally in their family. And so we already know this stuff. We know that one person's um, sin can affect uh, generations in, fam in, in, in families. The second thing is we all sin. Like we all do what Adam and Eve did um, on a pretty much daily basis. We all sin every day. Uh, we've already talked about this in Romans chapter 3, verses 10 to 12. It says, as it is written, there's no one righteous, not even one. There's no one who understands. There's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. They have together become worthless. There's no one who does good, not even one. And so we are marked as a sinner by that very point alone, because we all sin today. In the same way that Adam sinned back then, we sin today. We are sinners by nature. I think one of the other reasons Paul mentions Adam here is because he represents us all. Adam's name 
Adam actually means humanity. Like his, the direct translation of Adam means humanity. And so he actually represents all of us in the same way that a, a person in your family can positively or negatively affect your uh, affect their descendants. Adam's rebellion affected all of humanity. And so if you think this is still unfair, I get it. But what would be more unfair is if God didn't give us a way out, if he just left us in this. And so one of the big points that we need to cover here and, and explain here is that it can be easy for us to get caught up in the details and the ins and outs of sin and how it works and why. But what Paul really, really wants us to focus on here is this free gift that God has given us. And Paul is going to share more about this in the next verses. But again, it's easy for us to get tripped up on the sin, but Paul doesn't want us to just stay there, but to focus on this thing called grace. And it's, it's really cool how he qualifies grace. He uses words like abounding and much more and abundance. Like these are words that he's using to describe grace because God's grace is so much greater than our sin. It covers everything. It's so much bigger than, than the sin and the brokenness of our world. It covers it all. Paul actually says it better than me, so we're going to keep going. Verse 15 says this, But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God. And the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because one man's trespass death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. And so I started off talking about gifts. And Paul um, uses this analogy of gifts, talking about um, this free gift. And he mentions it over and over again. He actually, in, in all these verses that we're reading, he mentions it five times. And so if he mentions it a bunch of times, I think we better figure it out and really understand what is this free gift. And so Paul states it right here in verse 17, saying that the free gift of righteousness. That is the free gift. It's righteousness. It's this right standing with God, where we once were enemies, where we once stood guilty of all crime. God gifted us with righteousness, with legal justification. And why? Well, we talked about last week, because he is gracious and loving. And his grace is so big and so audacious, so great that it covers up all of our sin. And so how big is it? Well, let's look at how Paul compares this free gift to our sin. The first thing is God's free gift overpowers sin. He says it right here. It's not like the trespass, right? It's not even like, it's not even in the same uh, ballpark of power. It overpowers sin. God's grace overpowers the trespass. 
the sin or the, sorry, the power that sin had over us can't even compare. And, and when you accept this free gift from God, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter the sin that you've committed. It doesn't matter how much generational pain that you've had to endure. It's bigger than all of that. This free gift covers all of that. It covers your addiction. It covers your loneliness. End of, end of verse 15 says that the grace of one man, Jesus, abounded for many. For many. For all of that. And if you fall into that lie or saying, oh, God can forgive me of my sins, but not this one. Not this one that I return back to over and over again. God would tell you no. That this free gift of grace covers it all. It's so much bigger. It overpowers all the sin in your life. And so if you fall into this lie that, oh, God can forgive me of my sins, but not this one. Not this one that I keep returning back to. The one that I always um, can't seem to break. This habit of mine. God says no. His grace overpowers all of that. Every nook and cranny, God's grace, this free gift covers it all. And if you believe that lie that, it, that he can't do that, it's just going to hold you back from receiving this gift and truly living in this gift. Second thing, God's free gift gives us life. Our future is brighter because of this gift. This trespass, this sin that led to condemnation, where we were eternally separated, where the relationship with God was severed. This gift that we talk about allows us to walk free. That, that guilty verdict that was over our heads, gone, clean, erased. That's how good this gift is, that we have life, that we now get to walk free. And that's how good our God is, that we get to walk free and all because of this one person, Jesus. All because of this one person, Jesus Christ, giving us this gift of life. And before I move on, I want to make one more point. And I think it's interesting because there's this reoccurring theme. I don't know if you caught it. It's this word rain. It's mentioned a bunch of times, it's actually mentioned five times in all of these verses. But I, it's interesting that Paul uses that word because when you think of rain, right, you think of someone reigning over or a kingdom or a king reigning over his people and his subjects. Paul has used Adam and Jesus here to depict this, this theme of, of kingdoms. And I think the reason why Paul does so is that because Jesus didn't come just so that we're on the other side of this salvation line. So whether we're on this side or that side, but to note that we are a part of something so much bigger that we get to be a part of this new kingdom. In Colossians chapter one, verse 13, it says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. One of my favorite verses. He's rescued us from this domain this kingdom of darkness and into this kingdom ruled by Jesus, 
See, where um, Adam's sin established one kingdom, Jesus establishes a new kingdom. Whether you realize it or not, there are two kingdoms. There's the kingdom of death and the kingdom of life. There's a kingdom of darkness and a kingdom of light. And this kingdom from Adam established death. But what's better is that Jesus came to establish a new kingdom, one of righteousness, one of purpose, and like we talked about, one of hope. And so we are now God's children, or as Paul will say later on in Romans, that we are co-heirs with Christ, and we get to be a part of this kingdom, and that is this free gift. Let's keep reading to finish up our time. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness led to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. So by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness, leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So Paul is summarizing his main point again. He says that one man's trespass and one man's disobedience led to condemnation, right? But then Jesus, this one man, his obedience, it changed everything. It led us to righteousness. He's summarizing his main point, the one he's already made. He reversed our fate with this gift. Paul makes this interesting point here. He says that the law came in and increased the trespass. What does that mean? Well, again, the temptation might be to get bogged down in sin and to this negative point, and maybe it might be a little confusing, but Paul doesn't want us to do that. Paul wants us to focus on that free gift. Biblical, un- biblical scholars understood this to say, yes, when God gave Moses the law, it brought to light, it brought to surface what sin was. But remember back in verse 13 when it said that sin was indeed in the world before the law. Well, he actually finishes this point and this thought here saying that when the law came, it revealed the sin that was already there. But even with the law being here to clearly guide us and and give us rules on how to live, we still messed it up. But remember that awesome gift? Yeah, it was still bigger. It was still more powerful because God's grace abounded all the more. Again, let's go back to that free gift, this grace, this righteousness that God has given us. And what does this free gift lead to? It leads to eternal life. It leads to this kingdom of life where we were, again, separated from God, where we would have been condemned. This free gift gives us eternal life. And this can be a hard concept to accept, like to wrap your heads around, right? This free gift. And and when uh, we... 
uh, get ready for these sermons, a team of us meet together to kind of pray over and read the passage and really draw at anything that we think God might be calling us uh, to think about or to really explain in these sermons. And when I asked this question, well, how does this passage make you feel? Uh, one of the people on the team, they said, it makes me feel suspicious. Like, this is too good to be true, right? He calls it a free gift, right? He qualifies the gift by saying it's, it's free. And there's a saying in, in the advertising world where if something is free, it means that you are the product, right? We get tense when something is free. I'm sure you heard this growing up that nothing in life is free, right? Like you may get excited at first hearing something's free, but then you're a little hesitant because why is it free? Like what's the catch? And I think that's because our world is set up where you have to earn the things that you get, right? In this world, you have sayings like you have to strive for greatness. We have to earn our way. And sometimes that seeps into maybe unintentionally, but it seeps into how we see God and, and how we see his righteousness that we actually have to earn and we have to do more good things so we get his righteousness where we can be put in right standing. But we know that's not true. We know that in God's kingdom, we're justified by our faith, not because of anything good we do. Barclay, uh, John Barclay wrote a book called Paul and the Gift and he mentions how in Jewish culture, excuse me, Jewish culture, Gift giving was more than just about the item given, right? It's not just here, let me bless you with this. What it actually does, what gift giving does is it signifies a relationship, right? It shows that this person matters to you, that you want to enter into a relationship with them. And so remember at the beginning when I talked about how sin brought us not only physical death, but spiritual death and a separation from God, well, God giving us this free gift said, no, I want to enter into a relationship with you. I want you to know me. That I want to be in perfect union with me. I want you to be in my kingdom. And the best part is that it's free. And I think Paul was strategic in calling uh, our salvation a gift because God is adamant that Jesus didn't die for us just to go to heaven. Yes, that's true. Yes, that's a part of the gospel and the good news that we get to go to heaven. But it also means that we get to enter into relationship with him again. That where we were spiritually dead, we now have life in him. That we get to be a part of his family, that we get to be a part of his kingdom, and we get to be a part of his reign. In church, that is good news. That is this free gift. And that's good news for us today. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for who you are. I thank you that you are good, you are perfect, you are the Alpha and the Omega, and we give all glory to you. And God, we thank you that you have called us back into relationship with you, where we were so separated, where we were enemies of you, God, that we're now friends, that we now get to enjoy a life with you. So God, I pray for any of us who are struggling with that, who just can't accept this free gift, God, would you humble us? Would you pierce into our hearts and, and, and minds and let us know that we can freely walk into you, walk into a relationship with you, not because of anything we do, not because of anything 
good any any hoops that we jump through god but that we would purely understand it's because of your love and that we just accept that so god i thank you in jesus name i pray amen